Welcome to Pull Up A Chair. I'm Bina Mehta, the chair of KPMG in the UK. And in each episode, I'm talking to some of the world's most influential leaders and thinkers about sustainable growth, what it means to them and why it matters. We also explore the challenges and opportunities of delivering growth responsibly and ethically in a way that meets the needs of people, planet and profit. For today's episode, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Jose Vinyal, an economist and businessman who is currently serving as Group Chairman of Standard Chartered. Jose also brings unique insight into financial services as co-chair of the United Nations Alliance of Global Investors for Sustainable Development and as a board member of the Institute for International Finance. He is also past president of the International Monetary Fund, deputy governor of Bank of Spain and professor of economics. We'll be discussing sustainable growth from an international perspective and also the critical role of banks in promoting fair, long-term growth during this time of climate transition. I'm also keen to hear his views on globalization as well as his views on being chairman of a business with over 80,000 people operating in over 60 countries. Jose Vinyal, please pull up a chair. Welcome, Dr. Jose Vinyal. I am really looking forward to this conversation today because you bring a really unique insight into the role of financial institutions in helping to achieve sustainable growth, but also the critical role that the system plays. When I talk about system, I'm talking about the national, the international global system. So you're group chairman of Standard Chartered Bank. You're the co-chair of United Nations Alliance for Global Investors for Sustainable Development. You're also a board member for the at the Institute of um, for International Finance. And previously, you were the president of the International Monetary Conference, a councillor and director of the International Monetary Fund, deputy governor of the Bank of Spain, and to top it all, professor of economics. So welcome, Jose. I am really delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much, Mina. It's also a pleasure for me. Thank you. I'm going to start with a question I start with everybody. What does sustainable growth mean to you? To me, that means achieving um, long-term prosperity for people, for all the people, not just some of the people, and doing that in a way that preserves uh, our planet. So prosperity uh, in a livable planet is something which is extremely important and that we all need to uh, fight for. And we know that, you know, there is inequality in society. We know that it changes across the world as well, you know, depending on what region. Do you really think it is possible to balance, because you use the word balance, balance the needs of people, planet and profit? I think it's not only possible, it's absolutely of the essence. And if one thinks, you know, coming back to the definition of what's sustainable, sustainable is something that, that means fair, means inclusive, means environmentally friendly. So this is key for countries and this is key for companies. So uh, countries have uh, growth uh, objectives for their economies. Governments have that, those objectives and companies have objectives in terms of growing profits. But that is something which needs to be in line with helping people live better lives and improving the health of our planet, which is significantly challenged, as we all know. I'd like to explore a little bit of that when we talk about the work that you do with Standard Chartered. But before I do that, I really would welcome if you could just maybe um, help our audience understand what it is that the Alliance actually does and what it's aiming to achieve. Well, this is an initiative which was launched by 
the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, Antonio Guterres, uh, in 2019. I am one of the two co-chairs of the alliance. And the purpose is to uh, bring in together the private sector to scale up investment for uh, the Sustainable Development Goals. So this is not a group that people join by their own wish. It's something which is at the invitation of the Secretary General. So he has invited 30 international companies, both from advanced economies and emerging markets, from the financial and the non-financial world, to join forces in developing concrete solutions, ideas on how to scale uh, private financing that can help uh, provide the money which is needed for this $4 trillion a year of um, finance needed to achieve the objectives of the Sustainable Development Goal. So it's a lot of money. Some of it uh, is provided by the public sector, but most of it needs to be provided by the private sector. And remember, we're talking about emerging markets and developing economies where the public finances are uh, weaker than in the advanced economies, and therefore where there is a need for external financing for international capital to be financing those uh, sustainable development goals uh, in order to make sure that uh, you know billions of people in the planet can lead better lives. You've said in the past that emerging markets and developing economies need a lot of money and that money is sitting elsewhere. How confident do you feel, and I guess it's the work of this, this alliance, how confident you, do you feel about being able to mobilize that private capital into the right locations? Well, you have to ask yourself the question, is private capital moving or not? And the answer is not in sufficient amounts. The second is, why not? And there is a lot to be said about the perceptions of risk which exists out there which make many investments, uh, many projects uh, non-investable, not bankable, because the risk-adjusted uh, returns are not, are not you know, positive enough or are not even positive. So what you need is partnership. You need a partnership between the uh, private sector and the public sector, and particularly multilateral development banks, in joining forces to make those projects bankable so that uh, it would be in the interest of the private sector to participate, and therefore that money will move at scale and hopefully also at speed in order to finance poverty, climate, and other things which are including within the broader objectives of the Sustainable Development Goals. So it's a massive scale. It's a very, uh, it's a massive need. Need is a very urgent need, and and that's why the uh, United Nations uh, launched this alliance in order to join forces with the private sector. And you talked about risk there, you know, and how people perceive risk and how you assess risk. And in a lot of conversations I have with leaders. That is a that is the tension that leaders are grappling with, where the appetite sits, where they where they feel they can stretch that. Um, I'd welcome your thoughts on um, how business leaders can look at risks slightly differently, maybe, or how they can really think about risks it, from, from a long term impact point of view. Yeah, I think that um, there are real risks and there are perceived risks, and there is some evidence that there is a bit of an uh, over-perception of risks on the part of investors who may not be sufficiently well informed about the realities of the markets in which they are considering to invest. So I think that's something which is very important in terms of this informational asymmetry 
that needs to be corrected. Standard Chartered, uh, working across many emerging markets and developing economies in uh, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, we have that, that local knowledge, that, that information. We have been in these markets, in many of them, for more than a century, and, and we really understand those risks. So that's something that puts us in a good position to identify the risks and how to mitigate those risks. But it's true that there are things that need to be done to reduce these risks. I think that countries uh, can and should do more in order to provide the environment which reduces some of the risks which are very important, like risks regarding the lack of um, uh, good uh, governance uh, in these countries, uh, uncertainty about the uh, rule of law, uh, all of these uncertainties, including also macroeconomic uncertainties, put a risk premium on the investment uh, that needs to be financed, and therefore it increases the cost of capital, and, and it doesn't help these countries attract the money they need. So that is one thing. But there is also something that can be done in order to identify the risks and then work with the national authorities, for example, or the national private sector partners and with international organizations in order to de-risk some of those risks that have been identified, like, for example, political risk. This is something which is being covered by the guarantees provided by parts of the World Bank Group, MIGA. And then there are other uncertainties that, and risks that can be mitigated so that, again, you have something which is investable, which is bankable. And then you can attract international money to finance those projects. So in this case, it takes three to tango. It takes the local partner, public or private sector partner. It takes the multilaterals, and it takes also the private sector uh, on the financing side. Standard Charter Bank operates in almost 60 countries. 53 countries with a direct presence, and then over 60 countries indirectly from the presence markets. Wow, so that, that's a huge reach, and with that comes big impact and significant responsibility. And I know Standard Charter Bank has also um, been very vocal about lending sustainably and having um, reaching net zero in everything you do by yeah. 2050. Yes. Um, how would you describe the bank's role in delivering climate ambitions? And I think it's helpful for people to understand, you know, the impact and influence you have and how that affects the customer's ability to deliver against the impact targets as well. This is very important for us. We, we take sustainability very seriously. In fact, it's one of our strategic uh, pillars. And uh, already before uh, COP26 at Glasgow, we published our net zero uh, roadmap, which then uh, we had validated at our annual, annual general meetings in 2022. And there are three key components of this plan. One is to reduce emissions. So we are setting uh, emission reduction targets of the key high carbon sectors so that we move along the pathway that has been, is a science-based pathway, you know, based on the, uh, you know, International Energy Agency pathway so that we can move towards net zero by 2050. And we need to do this in a way which provides for a just transition to net zero, meaning that banking in, in many emerging markets and developing economies, we need to affect the transition process in a way which is consistent with economic and social development uh, needs of these countries. So this is extremely important. 
And that's the first component, the, the emission reductions. The second is the financing, because you have to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And we have committed between now and 2030, in the first stage, to mobilizing over $300 billion of uh, sustainable finance in order to help our markets move and our clients move in the desired direction towards net zero. And if one thinks of emerging markets and developing economies, this is the part of the world which um, has the largest fraction of global population, but also the part of the world which is going to be mostly, most directly affected by the consequences of climate change. So they need financing for uh, climate, you know, for, for mitigation and for adaptation to the consequences of climate change. And that money, as we were saying before, is not going to move alone. It needs to, 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 to help to be moved. And we're going to do our share. We're going to do our share working with our clients, but also working in partnership with uh, international organizations in the context of what is called blended finance, which is that it takes three to tango type thing that I was talking about before. And this is something that we take very seriously, and we are delivering on this commitment. And we have been mobilizing last year more than $20 billion and continue to move in this. So we are on track to deliver on that. Uh, uh, commitment. And then there is a third thing. When we talk to our clients, our corporate clients, for example, they say money is extremely important, but also technical support. So we're putting in place the uh, teams who are working and will continue to work with our clients in order to provide the expertise, to provide the advice, to provide the products and the services that would allow them to move down the carbon curve in the direction of net zero. So again, being very clear about what it is that we define as sustainable finance, what it is that we define as green and sustainable products and services so that everybody can see what we can do for them and then making sure we work for them to tailor these products and services to their needs is extremely important, whether it's a sustainable bond, whether it's a green bond or a blue bond or something uh, having to do with some more complex financial product, will be there to deliver those products to our clients. And regarding the uh, uh, second part of your question, the engagement with clients is absolutely of the essence because we will be able to progress on our objectives regarding our total emissions, for example, and our movement towards net zero, not only if we control our own emissions, which we're going to do by 2025, we will achieve net zero, but also bringing under control the finance emissions. And that has to do with the clients that we finance, basically the corporate clients, in the future also financial institution clients, and making sure that they are moving with us towards net zero. So that's why that engagement with clients is critical because we can only go as far as our clients do. So it's in our interest to move our clients uh, at as much as we can and as you know, uh, judiciously as we can in this, in this path towards net zero. And it's incredible to see how you as a, an organization are helping clients, like you say, giving them some of the technical expertise as much as it is about the financing. And you, you, you alluded to the misalignment or you know, the lack of alignment around the need for change, the financing available. How optimistic do you feel that we'll be able to start to lift prosperity for all at a pace? Well, for example, on the climate uh, front, we have asked our clients to provide us with their corporate transition plans already by the end of last year. And we have been taking time 
to review those plans to make sure that they are credible and that they're moving in the right direction at the right speed. So we are engaging in a in a in a in a, in a conversation with with our clients, but we also use our clients to be a force for good in these countries. Many of these countries don't have national transition plans. Uh, many of these countries have not uh, clear commitments towards net zero. So by working with our uh, clients and incentivizing them to move in this direction, I think that we are accelerating the uh, transition to net zero in a way which, as I mentioned before, remains consistent with the social and economic development needs of these countries. And many of our clients are big corporates, which are very significant contributors to the national economy. So by working through them, we have a big impact on the markets, on the countries. And you know what, one of the things I often hear, um, increasingly so now from organizations, is on the S. Mm. The the difficulty, um, if you're a global organization, it's quite difficult, like you've just alluded to the net zero yeah, yeah, and you yeah. don't have a national plan, it's quite hard to sort of align across. And, and I think that's now emerging through the S. And I don't know whether you're seeing that through the work that you're doing with your corporates. They're really struggling with how do you, how do you move forward on the S agenda, the social agenda, when what you can do in one region isn't necessarily measurable or achievable in another region, just because of the, the scale of inequalities yeah. and changes. I don't know if you've got any reflections yeah. on that. The, the social part is very important for us. When we think of what the banks want to achieve through our strategic delivery, delivering on our on our strategy, is basically achieve three, three, three things. We call the three stands. One is accelerate net zero that we have talked about, which has to do with the E of the ESG. The other one is lifting participation, meaning improving the lives of many millions of people around the world, which are in our markets. And the third thing is making uh, is resetting globalization, meaning ma making globalization more fair, more inclusive. So the S is a very important thing. Of course, we take care of the S inside of the organization in terms of our diversity and inclusion policies and so on, but also in terms of what we try to achieve in the world is making the planet more environmentally friendly, but also making sure that we have the social inclusion that the world needs. And emerging in the markets and developing economies are very unequal economy, uh, societies. And there are big differences in income and wealth distribution. So making uh, sure that our actions contribute to more cohesive societies, more inclusive societies, is very important. And financial inclusion is one big part of that. And we're a bank, so we can contribute to that. And we are. You talk about globalization and the importance of globalization. That was your third sort of, you know, resetting. Um, the importance of globalization in sustainable, delivering sustainable growth. If, you know, post-COVID, we've seen a lot of businesses re refocus on their supply chains, thinking about friendshoring, nearshoring. We've seen a little bit of nationalism, protectionism around trade. Um, and whilst trade has increased, the importance of trade and investment to allow us to deliver on the net zero and the social inclusion is is a little bit difficult at the moment. So I would, you know, and these are really difficult things to fix as individual institutions or um, or, or, or sectors. I'd welcome your views on how businesses can sort of navigate some of this. Well, it is it is a shifting uh, a shifting reality. <laughs> And uh, we are moving from a situation where 
we had a sort of very cohesive uh, globalization in terms of uh, having something which is one piece into something which is becoming more fragmented. So we're going to a sort of multipolar type of globalization. And in circumstances like this, the connectivity that beforehand uh, happened naturally, now it needs some help in order to connect the different poles of this multipolar reality. And Standard Charter is a connector bank. We are a bridge bank. This is in our history. We are one of the top three, four trade banks in the world, for example, and we have a big presence in Asia, which is this epicenter of this realignment of international trade flows and global supply chains. So we're helping many of our clients to diversify internationally their supply chains, and that's very important. Now, there are different ways of achieving security and safety in supply chains, resilience. As you said, can be friendshoring. The problem is that your friends today may not be your friends tomorrow. Uh, you know, onshoring, but then if something goes wrong in your country, who's going to supply to you? Uh, you know, shortening regional supply chains, whatever. But there is another way, which is the international diversification of global supply chains. And this is where we are uh, putting our effort in helping our corporate clients in particular achieve this diversification. And we're seeing this, uh, for example, big time in Asia, but also across Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. And we are registering this in our sort of income corridors across different countries and regions. And that is growing at, at, at very significant high double-digit uh, rates. And that tells you that this international diversification of supply chains is an important part of the story and is not just protectionism what is happening. You mentioned that global trade has continued to increase, and I think that's right. It has been resilient. We have recovered. It came down with COVID, but then it recovered after the pandemic ended. And then even this year, which has been quite tough because of all the reasons, global trade has not fallen. It has slowed growth, but hasn't fallen. The important thing is think of the future and how can one accelerate the future of trade. And there we have been looking at this issue and we have issued a very interesting report called The Future of Trade. And what one can see is that trade is going to continue increasing. Global trade is going to continue increasing. But the nature of those trade flows is going to be different mm. because it's going to be increasingly driven by what we could call South-South trade rather than North-South trade or North-North um, um, trade. And that South-South trade is going to take place across emerging markets and developing economies, with Asia playing a very important role. And of the um, expected uh, growth in trade between now and 2030, 2035, about 70% of that trade is going to be driven by the contribution of emerging markets in particular, of Asia and the Middle East. So you're having a reconstruction of global trade flows with emerging markets having an increasing uh, role in, 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 in the global picture. When you talk about diversification, that really does play into the resilience and that we need for sustainable growth. Um, and so as we look at trade, digital trade is also increasing and that brings with it a whole, um, a whole array of different Correct. challenges and different issues. Um, but as we look, before I go into that, I, you know, as you look forward and you look with, you know, I think you're right, global trade will increase. How do you think business leaders need to embrace that? How do you think, what, what is it that they can do differently to really lean into that? 
I'll give you an example regarding what we do at Santa Charter. I think it's very good that global trade will increase. I think it's very important that um, global trade and globalization in general becomes more inclusive mm. in the next phase. And um, one way of making globalization more inclusive is by making sure that small and medium-sized enterprises can be a participant, an active participant in global trade uh, uh, channels and in globalization. So, for example, we have put in place solutions to provide uh, trade finance that go uh, not just to the main company, but also to the full supply chain going 11 uh, sort of tiers below, so that even the smallest suppliers in the supply chain can have access to the financing that allows them to be part of this global supply chain, which is integrated in global circuits. That makes trade more inclusive. Also, we have put in place platforms, digital platforms in places like India, and now more recently in, in, in Kenya and in Ghana, something called Solve, to provide all kind of banking financial non-banking services and other type of services to small and medium-sized enterprises so that they can do the business in a more effective manner, paying a fraction of the cost that they would pay if they were to go through the traditional analog channels. That is helping many of these firms now participate in global trade channels and before they were unable to. So that participation of these small and medium-sized enterprises allows them to be part of global trade and benefit from the uh, advantages that come associated with it. And as we look to businesses that want to trade globally and become more global and international, um, inevitably, there are regulatory environments to, to face into. And as a, as a bank, you know, Standard Chartered has to navigate multi-jurisdictional regulatory environments. Is there any sort of insight from your experience of how businesses can navigate um, or work within the regulatory environments that they're faced with in order to continue to grow sustainably? I mean, it's a must that if you're working across many countries, you need to respect all their national rules and regulations. And, and this is complex, but you have to do it. You have to do it because otherwise you get into trouble and, and, and you don't do the right thing. So uh, we have a code of conduct that all our employees have to sign to which basically uh, insists on, on what's the right thing to do. This is one of our core values, doing the right thing. And ethics in life as in banking is doing the right thing uh, always and everywhere, even if no one is looking, okay? So that's very critical. And when you have also uh, national regulations, you need to uh, make sure that you are up to date on how these regulations change. This is very complicated. We have quite a lot of people looking into that. But within the framework provided by these regulations, you have to do your best. Let me give you an example. Uh, if you look at international regulations like capital standards, uh, these international regulations uh, may be penalizing or are penalizing or may be penalizing in the future investment in infrastructures um, in emerging markets. So on the one hand, we were talking about the need for the private sector to be part of the solution in financing sustainable infrastructures in emerging markets. On the other hand, you have some capital regulation, which is going to make it more onerous, probably in the future, to finance uh, this type of sustainable infrastructures in emerging markets. So you find these sort of uh, contradictions, and you have to live with them and do your best. But, but uh, navigating the regulatory environments 
which are so different across countries is it's difficult, but it's a massive, you're a global organization. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you extend the sort of regulatory requirements to say reporting requirements, we were talking about ES ESG, you know, trying to get some consistency in what is considered a little bit of a polarized world, right? And and and, and, and in maturity terms, it's quite hard for businesses, but they're having to navigate yeah. it. I think we're, connect, we're getting to a point where it will start That's to right. become a little clearer That's right. um, for it, but we're, right. we've been on a journey. We talked a little bit about technology yeah. And the importance of technology, one, as, um, well, there are significant opportunities as much as there are challenges, but the in the banking industry, um, I'd like your perspectives of how you see technology really playing a part to shape the future of banking, but also you also mentioned the importance of partnerships. I'd like to get your perspective on how you see that playing out over the next five, ten years. Okay. Technology is absolutely of the essence. I think it's a, it's a must. And it was a mass already in the past, but it's becoming even more of a mass at present. If we had had this conversation maybe 10 years ago, we would have talked about the importance of technology in making your internal operations more efficient. And, and that continues to be the case. That's a need for technology. But also technology is very important for the customer experience in order to provide your best to your clients and customers. So as part of your client value proposition, this is something which is fundamental. So great for technology to help you play defense, but also to play commercial offense, extremely, extremely important. And remember, at the end, technology is an enabler, but it's a critical enabler mm. that needs to be uh, put together with many other things in order to deliver value. Uh, uh, for your clients and, and, and all of shareholders and all your other stakeholders. Now, partnerships, I think, is a key thing here. Uh, we work across many markets. And one way that you can uh, uh, take advantage of technology in order to do better, in order to gain scale, in order to serve better your customers, is by engaging in partnerships. We have, for example, engaged in partnerships with big e-commerce firms, like in Indonesia, uh, we're doing this in other places as well, where you join forces with uh, Bukalapa, for example, which is a leading or the leading e-commerce uh, firm in Indonesia, and they have more than 100 million clients. So again, that brings us the opportunity to work with these clients and bring to them the banking services that we can provide. So <clears throat> that allows you to scale up in terms of your client base in a way which has a low cost of customer acquisition so that the cost to income ratio works very well for these partnerships. Sometimes you want to do partnerships in doing other things like digital banks. We have created uh, very impressive digital banks in Hong Kong and Singapore, two key international financial centers which are very important markets for us and where our digital banks are doing very well. And there are many other sort of uh, partnerships which take advantage of technology and the digital uh, space in order to do interesting things, like the platforms I was talking about to provide uh, services across the board to SMEs so that we can help them uh, scale up and, and participate in global, global, trade, uh, global trade, trade, trade channels and, and all the things that we can do. So there is a plurality of things that you can do and I think that partnerships are extraordinarily important for that. You've had an incredible career sort of looking at the financial system nationally and internationally and globally and how you have to connect and work align. Are there any learnings from that experience of 
of having to look at the system, not just working in the organization. Because some of the, a lot of the problems we're grappling with cannot be solved by individual organizations or individual nations. Is there any learning from your experience in the financial system that we could, as business leaders, take away? Yeah. I am a great believer in multilateralism and collaboration. In all the years I spent at the International Monetary Fund, including during the global financial crisis, um, vividly uh, showed that uh, global problems need global solutions. And global solutions cannot be engineered individually by companies or by single countries, no matter how important they are, you need to bring people together for that. We were talking about partnerships in the digital sphere before, and I provided some examples. Well, partnerships were critical in providing solutions for the global financial crisis. Uh, partnerships and collaboration at the multilateral level have been critical in COVID in order to provide for the economic and uh, sort of scientific solutions to get us out of uh, what, you know, look at the time like a, an extremely, extremely difficult situation. So again, multilateralism is important and cooperation is important. Cooperation uh, across boundaries, cooperation across sectors, between the private sector and the public sector. And I think that the response to the big challenges that the world has have to do a lot with that. And, and global companies, in a way, are a little bit of a microcosm of what happens in the world. So also making sure that large companies have a strong collaborative culture internally and that you function as a team to address the challenges that you may have in this very complicated world is also extremely important. I'm a great believer in, in, um, um, in, in teams, in the team spirit, in team playing, and it's only, it's only through that that important and difficult uh, issues can be addressed effectively. And in my interactions with you and your colleagues at the bank, it comes through loud and clear. You've got a very strong culture and there is that team spirit you talk about. I'd just like to understand how the board at Standard Chartered looks at culture and what you're looking to achieve. Well, as I mentioned, we try to set the right tone, but one particular aspect of the cultural transformation that we're seeking is about excellence. And having a true culture of excellence for the organization that is deeply embedded, that is extremely important. And in a changing world, which is creating so many uncertainties where you have to reskill yourself to do a number of things where you know we're all coping with the unforeseen every single day i think that having a culture of excellence where every single individual in the organization uh does their best every single day no matter where they are that's something which is critical for the organization collectively to do it's best as well. So that aspect of culture, that culture of excellence, is something we're very focused on at present in terms of the transformation that the organization still is undergoing to prepare fully for the challenges of, of, of the world to come. What do you think makes it so special at Standard Chartered? Well, I think that we are very serious because we deeply believe that we are there in order to bank for better lives. And we bank in markets across the world, which include a majority of the global population, and where the people living in these markets 
have standards of living and a quality of life which is well below what they deserve as human beings. So we need to make sure that we do our banking in a way which is, of course, consistent with our fiduciary responsibilities to our shareholders, but in a way which is fully aligned with improving the lives of people by helping them achieve their individual or family or corporate objectives, their aspirations, sometimes even their dreams. And I think that this is what makes Standard Chartered such a strong organization from the cultural point of view, because we really believe that we have a mission, which is to bank for better lives. Purpose really feels like it's a really important part of what you stand for. Um, has it been important in everything you've done? Well, yes, I have spent many years uh, of my life as, um, as, uh, as a public servant at the national, European and global level, serving the public interest. And when you serve the public interest, the sense of purpose is something which comes naturally with a job. Now, it is in the private sector where you need to make sure that that alignment is also there, that the sense of purpose is there. And I have it at Standard Charter. That's why I'm at Standard Charter. Very happy to be in the bank. Uh, and, uh, and it continues to be there. And, and that provided me with the fantastic psychological continuity also in moving from a public sector to a private sector career. Uh, Standard Chartered is also very famous for um, its diversity and inclusion approach. Um, I just wondered, based on what you, you know, you talked about purpose, we talk about what it, how important it is to you. What's the board's role at Standard Chartered to really set that tone, set the direction? How does that, how does it work in your organization? Well, as you said, Standard Chartered is a very diverse uh, organization and, and, and we try to foster sort of commerce and prosperity throughout unique diversity. That's our sort of official purpose statement. You know, we're there for good, here for good is what we, uh, you know, in an abbreviated way is our brand promise. But Standard Charter takes diversity and inclusion extremely seriously. Um, we have more than 120 nationalities in the bank. We uh, bank across so many parts of the world that, that, that diversity is by definition there. But diversity needs also to be embedded in all, uh, sort of at all levels in the organization. So the, and it needs to be inclusive because being diverse but not including people, it doesn't get you as far as you, you need to go. So the board has a very important role in setting the tone on the culture of the organization. And then we have to implement that culture, uh, including through the executive channels. But that setting of the tone is very important and taking an interest in devoting a number of discussions regularly throughout the year to talk about people issues, culture issues, sustainability related issues. Uh, all of those things are discussed at the board, are discussed at our culture and sustainability committee that we created especially for this to prepare board discussions. And, and so the, board of, uh, the role of the board in setting the tone and uh, being vigilant about culture being, uh, you know, filtering through the organization at all levels so that no matter where you go in the world and no matter whom you meet who's working for Standard Charter has that same culture, that is fundamental. And that's what the board is, you know, should strive to achieve. And, and we are very, very, very focused on that. Do you think... Um as we sort of navigate some of the things we've talked about, um, you need a strong culture, I absolutely believe, in an organization to succeed and thrive. Um, as we look forward, what is it that 
boards, I mean, it may, may not be just standard chart, it may be through your clients' yeah. lenses. What are they really worried about? Well, I think that boards now, um, and I can tell you about the bank, but also other organizations, um, because we just had the annual meetings of the IMF and the World Bank in Marrakesh, where also many private sector organizations came in and, and you know, the bankers, we also gathered and had our meetings and so on. Some things which are top of mind is, of course, sustainability. That's very important for us, but this is something which is now part of any conversation we have with our clients because many of them are pivoting towards a new economy, a new, more sustainable economy. And again, this is part of their of their business plan. So sustainability is one very important thing. Then I think geopolitics and the importance of geopolitics on geoeconomics. So for a global organization, that is something which is top of mind. Then technology. We have talked about it. What are the challenges created by technology, which are the opportunities that technology brings? I think and then that is a positive, but you have to have the right risk approach to managing technology risk and cybersecurity risks. And then in the world of banking, um, we are uh, concerned about non-bank uh, competitors like, uh, you know, big techs, which are providing increasingly uh, products and services which are more like what banks provide, but which are not within the regulatory perimeter that banks are. So there is a you know, uh, not, not a level playing field between the two. And one last thing, which I think is a, 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 an important concern also in the financial sector more specifically, is that um, there are parts of the financial sector which are not as well regulated and supervised as banks are. And we have seen that post-global financial crisis, the core of the banking system has been resilient. We had some a turmoil in, in March of this year, which affected some US banks and one European bank. But otherwise, the core of the banking system has been resilient, is well-regulated and well-supervised. We don't know that that's the case in non-bank financial institutions. And there may be some systemic risks uh, building up there that interacting with the uh, you know higher interest rates that we have and which have gone up very rapidly for the last few years, for the last couple of years, this is something that uh, I think it's something that we need to watch. So again, that's something which is, which is important. And then people, uh, top of, uh, of, of, of mind for boards and organizations should be people. At the end, any organization is a people's business. Um, you know, your clients are people, your employees are people, your suppliers are people, uh, you know, your communities are people. The regulators are people. So that that people aspect and how do you manage people in order to make your organization most effective and in, in, in delivering on its purpose, I think that's also top of mind. I think the things that you talked about in terms of the regulatory risks, you know, the risks around some of those, um, seeing the impact of the interest rate and some of the shadow banking, whatever you want to call it, I think that is very, very specific to the, the sector, but actually has an implications on businesses, huge implications of businesses. And interesting, the, the, the topics that you just highlighted, geopolitics and technology, but equally the emerging disruptors, we call them, that, you know, competition, actually were in the CEO outlook that we yeah. published a few weeks okay. ago as well. Okay. So it's consistent with what, what I would say industries are telling us as well. And the other one, and we talked a lot about it today, is around environment and climate change, yeah. Yeah. you know, really facing right. into that in terms of urgency. 
So you talk about being in Marrakesh at the meeting. What, what was the one thing that you would like us to take away that you took away from there? Well, one thing in particular would be the need for multilateral development, development banks to be more effective in the way they engage with the private sector to uh, scale up the financing that the private sector can provide. So this means that multilateral development banks, including the World Bank in particular, need to be more impact-driven, need to be more creative, need to be thinking of new solutions on how to work with the private sector, and need to make the blended finance solutions, which are so critical for project financing across the world, in particular for sustainable infrastructures and climate, something which happens on an ad hoc basis now, needs to be really wholesale, needs to happen in a much, much larger scale, in a much more systematic manner and replicable manner. That, I think, is a different degree of ambition for the multilateral development banks that needs to be delivered. And if that happens, I think we have a chance at getting the private sector also at scale in financing climate and the other sustainable development goals in a way that the world badly needs it. You are a very busy man, Jose. <laughs> um, how do you sustain yourself? Well, you have to find your spaces. And to me, um, I sleep well, so that's a plus. And then my family is, uh, is, 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 is very important in sustaining my, um, my life. Thank you for that. If you could go back in time and share a piece of advice to the younger Jose, what would, you, what would you tell yourself? Be prepared for the unexpected. Be ready to seize the opportunity when uh, it arises, which means uh, you have to have the adequate skills and the adequate curiosity and agility of mind to jump on board. And then don't take no for an answer. Be very persistent. They say that, and be very courageous, as, it, as the saying goes, uh, fortune rewards the brave, but I say also those who persevere. What a lovely way to end this interview. I just want to pick up on some of the things you've talked about. Your advice to your younger self couldn't be more appropriate in this day and age, right? Be ready for the unexpected, be courageous. It's really clear that you're driven by purpose and you are a firm believer of multilateralism and global cooperation as it's come through loud and clear. You talk about the power of partnership, partnership in your business, partnership in the way that you talked about the three to tango, you know, the, the local, the multinational and lateral and private sector, how you work together and how we're going to solve some of these things together. You talked about three stances for the bank. I mean, clearly a bank that really cares for its customers and really wants to make an impact, whether it's through accelerating net zero, lifting participation or resetting the global sort of trading environment. And then you as a bank have a very, very big part to play in that. Trade is really important. I can tell it's, it's you know, it's really at the heart of it. And the role of technology and the role of technology with the opportunistic view as opposed to the, the, 
the things that we all worry about, right? We all worry about the cyber and the implications of technology, but there's also the great things we can do with technology and advancement. Um, this has been an, a really inspiring conversation, really understanding, you know, what you do and what the system, what you've done in the system as well, nationally and internationally. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. It was, it was great having this conversation and I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining me today on Pull Up A Chair, whether you're at home, at work, or somewhere in between. I do hope you'll join me next time for more insights from business leaders and thinkers on how to unlock sustainable growth that delivers to the needs of people, planet, and profit. Goodbye.